0: Welcome to part two of our deep dive on I Know Who Killed Me, The Dakota Cup. In this episode, we deep dive into the director, Chris Sivetson, the script issues, production issues, Lindsay Lohan's career, horror history of discussion on giallo films and erotic thrillers, as well as my favourite topic, David Lynch Films. We don't have any voice memos in this week's episode, so I did want to shout out a number of other podcasts I listened to before we covered this film, including The Osterion who cover this period in pop culture history with wonderful sensitivity and discuss the links between Lohan and Britney Spears, Our Powers at Fatal Attractions pod, who go into a brilliant discussion on the erotic thriller elements of the film, as well as Werewolf Ambulance, The House, and Why Is This A Thing, who all cover the film and gave me great inspiration for some of the topics we covered. Stick it out until the end, and here are our top three Lindsay Lohan films. Thank you as always for listening, we hope you enjoy, and remember, when in doubt, just sew the dead finger back on. What's the worst that would happen? where they are and the film ends mm-hmm. and just like that except do you guys know about the original ending no I, I wanted to ask you about this oh, I've been waiting for so long for this moment okay. to ask okay. you about this. the original ending is on the DVD but the original ending um, is just more important to the context of the film and so we'll now give you both a lot of context so that is how the film ends and then there's some nice music the original cut that was shown to test audiences has a scene after that mm-hmm. where we flash to Aubrey back in blue at her desk typing on the computer and it was all Aubrey's story uh, that she was telling people at uh, uh,
1: the mm-hmm.
0: So the whole thing was made up and it was all about her wish fulfilment about feeling like she needed to be two different people. Uh. Yeah, that's lame. Lame. Very, very lame, which is why they very understandably took it out. But what they didn't do was re-edit any of the rest of the film, which is why it's so confusing about who the fuck is Aubrey. Because the whole film, Aubrey has this weird kind of double edge where you're like, is Aubrey Dakota? Yeah. Or is aubrey just a psychopath who is like hot hot and cold all the time when you watch it knowing that it's all a figment of aubrey's imagination that makes sense yeah. she's playing and she's learning who she is but if you're gonna change the ending of your film you maybe want to give the rest of the film just a quick quick view
1: like a little just quick cut just sense, sense check Does this still make sense? No.
2: Is is this a a good point to flash back to her story that she was reading to her class in high school slash college?
0: Yeah.
2: Where she said, um, well, this story was about, quote, a girl who knew a trick to make bad things happen to another girl uh, who was a hitchhiker in her story? Mm -hmm. And it says about this um, other girl who was a hitchhiker. Um, she always felt like half a person with half mm. a soul.
0: Mm-hmm. So it very
2: much sets up oh, this is all going to be a story. But yeah. then that ends up being a red herring. But you're saying it wasn't going to be a red herring? Yeah, that it wasn't it going was to be a there. red herring.
0: Originally, at the end of the film, there's just meant to be this scene of Aubrey at her desk smoking a little cigarette like Dakota did, no. typing it up, ah, and all smug yeah. as she writes the last line and she takes the drag and she smiles.
1: Oh, right. It's a really yeah, shit no. scene as well. Not, not a fan, not a fan.
2: No, it sounds horrible. Uh,
1: but, however, that would have made more sense
2: yeah it made more sense and hence been been shitter because
1: <laughs> well like i stand the by the like
2: taking it
0: out of the film it's 100 percent definitely the right choice to take it out of the film but like just needed to maybe trim down a couple other scenes there just
2: yeah, yeah. Just, just
0: yeah. a couple of quick edits well those
2: those early scenes before she gets kidnapped that i didn't that i thought were particularly rubbish the mm-hmm. sense i got from all of them was that uh they didn't quite have enough footage
0: Yes. Well, so, so there's this long
2: is- scenes where they don't edit between uh, like view and counter view, like typical mm-hmm. movie mm-hmm. conversation editing, where it's like a master shot and then a close up of one yeah. face and the other face and so on. Everything's in a master shot. Yeah. There's no edits. Pe- no reactions. No, no reactions. People will say their lines one by one, and then there's a pause. And then the scene fades to black and it's like, they're just trying to stretch the scene out as long as possible without any of the additional footage they would need to make it work or any of the edits.
1: Yeah. I yes. wonder if that has something to do with, um, probably something we're going to go touch upon more with, with Lindsay Lohan herself, but yeah. uh, you know, the production was a bit rocky from the beginning. She um, was actually hospitalized in the first week of production, and then she um, she had appendicitis, and then it was infected. So I feel like alongside that, and I know we're going to touch a little bit about um, her stint in rehab at the same time. But I wonder if because of all of that, they just tried to be more efficient.
0: Well, So I wondered, this is why I was desperately trying to find a copy of the original script, because there are so many plot issues and obviously knowing the alternate ending, that does fill in some of the holes of Albie's characterisation, Mm -hmm. but for me, and I know we've joked about it, the detective, the writing of these detectives is so shoddy and so mm. awkward and doesn't seem to fit. The film has gone for like a, a Lynchian, giallo, horrory, thrillery vibe. Mm-hmm. The detectives feel like they're out of CSI, but like the world's worst CSI and i wondered and this is completely just me making it up that because of all of these issues on the set with lohan not being available if they started writing in these detective scenes at the time because they realized ah. they weren't gonna have enough mm. and is that potentially why those scenes in particular feel so jarring and the dialogue yeah, in those yeah. scenes is so terrible because they were needed to fill in gaps mm. maybe, maybe. maybe. That was, and so, you know, like you said, she had loads of problems, um, so she was hospitalised, she had a few different various illnesses, um, and then midway through she went into rehab, so she was going to rehab at night and living at the rehab, but then just leaving every day to come and film this, but half the time, because as we see in the film, a lot of it's set at night, she was going back to the rehab in the day to sleep. And leaving to do these kind of spooky, eerie scenes at night. Wow. So it, I, I feel like they were having to film so much of it around her that again, mm. these really long, uncomfortable, unnecessary scenes, like when we hear the autopsy of the first girl, mm. were they just like, we have all these people, we've paid for these sets, we paid for these equipment. Should we just start filming shit like this, and at least yeah. we have it as B roll? Um, and then they had. Tons of paparazzi issues. Yes. I didn't spot any of them. I don't know if either of you did, but apparently in
1: various scenes you can actually see paparazzi in the background. In the background, yeah. I apparently,
2: so. I, I didn't spot any.
1: I didn't. I didn't think. I'm not very a very observant person, <laughs> so I would be looking for it now. But I think I think that it, it they weren't obvious. Um,
0: no, I mean,
1: as long as they were wearing blue, you wouldn't have fucking noticed. No, precisely
2: i would imagine the scene after the football game where she ends up getting kidnapped is Mm. that big crowd scene out on the street yeah uh, that's where i would look for paparazzi in the background
0: yeah and i wondered as well like the scene where she's at the bus stop is quite like you know where the guy is behind her and following her that's quite an open scene if that was filmed in a real location you can imagine someone like creeping up take photos but again Mm. probably just added to the weird eeriness of the scene
2: I can imagine they would have driven out to some really desolate location on the city outskirts in order to mm-hmm. get away from the paparazzi and, and just shoot it there in a hurry.
0: I mean, so I'm sure you can find how much it, it would have cost, but I'd imagine because that was she had had already, hang on, let me find, I believe she'd already had one DUI before filming it. So <laughs> I believe like the cost of a picture of Lindsay Lohan at that time, you're, you're looking at millions so like that's those, pe- those people would have driven anywhere
1: uh, like um, interestingly um, as well in terms of um problems with with her filming um some apparently someday she showed up late or didn't show up at all so when they were filming the climax the director actually used the body double mm-hmm. and then digitally replaced her face which I that. Funny. I, I'm not sure if that's true because I I don't know whether like I mean people do that nowadays and you can tell yeah mm. So a I'm bit, a bit dubious about that one. I wasn't sure about that one either. But
0: mm. it, as well, because there was a lot of problem at the, this time with people selling fake set reports to right. TMC and Perez Hilton and things like that. Mm. And so you, mm. you have to take everything with celebrity culture, especially in 2007, with, with a grain of salt. Mm. But wouldn't surprise me if it was true either, because like I said that scene where she chops his hand off, it's really difficult to follow. So maybe they were using a body double. Right, yeah. And that's why the, the shots are really hard to they're follow. Because they can't show face or
1: give you a wider shot. Yeah, because mm. they've basically got, like, a handful of Lindsay Lohan and stuff, and they're like, we need to bulk this out. Yeah. So let's shoot things. But then it, you're always going to, even the best people are always going to struggle to get that looking
2: oh, like
1: or feeling. I had that anything,
2: feeling but... i had that feeling with some of the gore shots like not just mm-hmm. the hand getting chopped off but the the torture scenes where you don't need to see or they don't show you lindsay lohan's face mm-hmm. they just linger on the you know the flesh coming away from the bone on the hand or yep. whatever i was like did they mean when they started to make this movie did they mean to make it so gory or did mm. they have a lot of cool gore effect shots where they were like Ah. second or two and then when they came to actually make the movie they didn't have enough footage because of all the problems and they were like well this is a really cool shot well i'm really proud of this physical effect this prosthetic on it for like 15 seconds yeah that's a really good point
1: actually really good point absolutely agree um i mean
0: so that's kind of most of the issues with the plot which I feel like as well we've covered a lot of the plot issues while we've gone
1: through the plot I think that mainly because that's the biggest thing for us yeah. right like we love it so much about like it's stylistic choices and like mm-hmm. although it's in, in a lot of places it's so bad it's good I think the hang-ups are, are mainly with the plot on this yeah. one it's just the script so, so
0: I mean I'll go into the director first whose name I forgot and one of
1: you two is better prepared than me Chris. what's the director Chris Severson I'm not Chris sure if that's Sieverson. Yeah. Sieverson. I can't I can't why can't I pronounce his name It's spelled quickly <laughs> in front of me? So Sieverson.
0: For me, I looked into his career and he very much is in the horror element. He he's a horror director. Mm-hmm. Um I firstly wondered if this film had been in the hands of a different, more well regarded artist, mm-hmm. would it have been respected as more of an art house film? You know, think about this seems like the kind of film that someone like Ari Aster could make, but 100 times better.
2: I, yeah. I would say it feels at some point it's like it's reaching towards trying to be something like a like a late period Brian De Palma, like, something mm-hmm. like right. the towel, that kind of thing.
0: And along with David Lynch, like we said, he um, there's so much Lynch stuff in it. There's so much Blue Velvet stuff in it. He has, in almost every interview he's ever given, said that Blue Velvet and Suspiria were his main influences for these films. And I did go back and watch both of them. And you can see it. And I will say, I've got some, not not actually that much hate. I, I found some friends who also don't like Blue Velvet. But what? having rewatched it, I've taken back my half a star rating. And now give <gasps> it two. Oh wow! Okay. Once I watched it the second time and knew what I was expecting, I still don't like it. I still hate the acting. But (laughs) knowing what I was going in for and seeing what they were doing, I found it a lot easier to watch on a second viewing. Um, yeah, so obviously people know I'm not the biggest of Lynch fans, so I re-watched Blue Velvet because it's such an inspiration for this um, and I, I also watched Wild at Heart, which I felt about World of Heart the way I felt about Blue Velvet the first time I watched it
2: I don't, don't give up until you've seen Mulholland Drive I,
0: I am going Mulholland Drive is now the only one I'm going to watch I might try Twin Peaks the show at some point uh, but film wise the only other Lynch film I will watch is Mulholland Drive just because I do really want to watch that Okay. but um, Lynch was a big ass inspiration <laughs> for this film
1: you don't so know.
0: Andrew go ahead and tell us as our Lynch
2: resident expert today <laughs> well i uh, unlike you i do love david lynch so there's a few a few points where the influences really came to the fore and i'll, I'll leave it to listeners to decide uh, whether these are like legitimate homages or drawing inspiration or just massively ripping him off on a very (laughs) superficial level even Uh, some
0: of the scenes it's like you stopped homaging and you're just outright copying we've
2: (laughs) we've already we've already touched upon stuff like the scene where at the school where they all find out that um, their classmate's dead and so on Mm -hmm. Uh, there are owls hooting throughout and a big shot of an owl coming towards the camera and an owl stenciled on the bus stop Um, the music cues are often quite dreamy and bluesy and uh, at other points weirdly comedic uh that felt very twin peaks to me um there are a couple of lynch alumni uh or future lynch alumni in the in the picture uh we've mentioned bonnie aarons is uh the character who plays the strip club owner uh Mm -hmm. fat tina um (laughs) quite amusingly because her name is Erin, she is the first person who comes up in the alphabetical credits. So you've just seen these people crawl out of the grave, a uh, fades to black, and it just says "cast alphabetical order, Fatina," um,
1: <laughs> which it's, I don't think is ever said in the film either. No, so it's, it's you're not. Like, Hold on, who the hell is Fat Tina
2: well, I assumed it was like someone in her class at college yeah, who was yeah. like unfortunately nicknamed. But no. I assumed
0: yeah. it was the slightly overweight stripper
2: maybe Uh, but no it isn't it's the very skeletal uh, um, strip club owner as well as Bonnie Aaron's, there's uh, Julia Ormond who plays the mum she's also in uh, Inland Empire Mm. which uh, I do not recommend you see as your next Lynch film because it's (laughs) three hours long and shot in very grainy digital for much of it (laughs) <laughs> and there's a bit of a i mean it's one it's one for the one for the big lynch fans rather than something to jump into I'd say mm-hmm. uh but yeah Julia Ormond the mom is in in the dempty so she's used to the kind of uh juxtaposition of like darkness mm-hmm. and horror with mm-hmm. light comedy and that kind of deliberate clashing of tones mm-hmm. so when she's listening to someone who may or may not be her daughter, have sex upstairs with a, a boyfriend. <laughs> She's furiously scrubbing the kitchen uh, with a kind of electro beat comedic tune, almost, playing over the top. That felt very Lynchian to me. Right. Um, in the movie of Twin Peaks, uh, Twin Peaks Firewalk with Me, uh, blue roses are very significant. Oh, uh, okay. The The FBI team who are tasked with investigating like supernatural offbeat mysteries are uh, um they call them blue rose cases and they get assigned to one by going and standing if i recall correctly going and standing by the runway of an airfield and having a woman come out from the hangar dressed all in red with blue hair and with a blue rose pinned to her lapel and she <laughs> does a funny dance and then, and then they're like, ah, oh, we've been given another, uh, wow. I think there's a scene where, where the guy gets one, the junior FBI agent gets asked, did you notice anything about what she's wearing? A blue rose. That's right. This is a blue rose case, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> which it's like, it doesn't really have a very deep meaning in the movie. It's just like blue roses symbolize wacky, like ethereal supernatural shit is going down. Cool. Uh, that, oh, I think was like a direct they were yeah. just like, oh, that seems really cool for reasons I don't particularly understand. Let's have a right. shit ton of blue roses <laughs> in our right. yeah yeah, um yeah, but the like the 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 high school setting and the mixture of like teen suburban life with like weird darkness and the mm-hmm. musical clues which are sometimes like really poppy and sometimes deep mm-hmm. and bluesy and woozy. Uh, all of that stuff is is very Lynchian, but right. to be honest, kind of on a superficial level. Yeah. So, so essentially I enjoyed that, done. but um, I I don't think he got like the deep mm-hmm. spiritual or or philosophical philosophical points. It's kind of like
1: Lynch's the original. fast fashion version of <laughs> yeah of the film <laughs> where they look at the runway, and rather than care about the influences or what it represents they've kind of gone oh that silhouette looks cute let's just make like a really quick and easy copy mm. that has no sort of semblance of what it once was but <laughs> we just thought it looked cute the, the other
2: thing the other thing i'll say is um in films like mohol and drive especially and uh in twin peaks there's a lot of uh like meta referential uh leveraging of the history of hollywood or the history of american tv mm. uh Going back to the cinema, I've now looked up One Girl's Confession with mm-hmm. its tagline, I confess I'm the kind of girl every man wants but shouldn't marry. That is a real film uh, from 1953. So it's, uh, it's pretty obscure from what I can see. It's barely,
0: it
2: it's barely reviewed on like any of the movie websites I go on. It's got like a handful of reviews from people who have seen it. Uh, I don't think anyone in it is particularly famous. I don't think the director is well known, mm-hmm. but they they probably picked it up because the girl on the poster looks like Lindsay Lohan, and it's nice. got a, it's got such a Lynchian title, um, yeah. dropping that dropping that kind of movie poster in, uh, yeah, is is the kind of thing Lynch would do. In Mulholland Drive, there's a, there's a poster for um, uh, Gilda. Uh, the Rita Hayworth movie and uh, the the poster for that says there never was a a girl like Gilda (laughs) we might need to record that because I need to go back and double check it (laughs) no I got it right Good (laughs) Yeah, yeah in my home drive there's a poster for the movie Gilda with Rita Hayworth and the tagline which the camera lingers on says there never was a girl like Gilda <laughs> uh, which like, plays deep into the themes of the movie, mm-hmm. with, like whether people are real or not, and mm-hmm. you know, putting on personas and stuff like that. So, um, having a, a classic Hollywood poster and lingering on the tagline again, on a superficial level, <laughs> very Lynchian, on a deeper level, I don't think there's too much going on, to be honest. <laughs> but I, I enjoy it.
0: Mm-hmm. I rewatched Suspiria. and again I thought I liked Suspiria and I've seen both of them when mm-hmm. I looked at my letterbox I'd rated the first one really low which was not I was like what have I done you know the really. first
2: time the first time I saw Suspiria it was the first Argento movie I'd ever seen the first piano I'd ever seen mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I was like I kind of like the stylistic aspects when I near the beginning but then I I rapidly kind of it lost me I went back to it again later and, like, now I really love it. Exactly.
0: Yeah, exactly. I saw it at the Prince Charles for Halloween one year and I just wasn't sure about it. Then I watched a few months later the remake and really enjoyed the remake. Going Mm -hmm. back to the original with more knowledge of what I was getting of Giallo, I think enjoyed it so much more and it's really funny because it is all blue and red mm. and that's where he got the blue and red influence from it's a really big thing in giallo films yeah. but it's just done so much subtle, subtle like much much more subtle like oh, every yeah. scene in Suspiria yeah. is elements of blue and red but yeah. you just it's not like here's blue and this yeah. thing's blue and here's the, the blue
1: that, the and way the- that seems I'm never going to be asked Francis definitely. I don't <laughs> know why but i like uh, basically the way that he does it in this is as if he's the way that it's color graded as opposed mm-hmm. to using it in a practical way mm-hmm. and then like elevating that in the edit it genuinely feels like put some blue there some blue there some blue there and then when we get to the color grading basically make everything else murkier and then make the the color so bold and don't get me wrong like it mu- it does work in other circumstances but here i just think it makes it look a little it, bit cheap so it works it's you know
0: everything in moderation the yeah. I can't, I know it's a really hated kind of it's photography technique. You do yeah. that black and white with one color, kind mm. of isolated. I I love it. I'm that kind of person. I loved when Sin <laughs> City did it, for example. um But, but Sin City
2: does it a lot better than here. here oh, it looks 100%. like a really cheap, like yeah. Yeah. effect but you would get on your phone in yes. like, 2007.
0: But it's yeah. not even that it looks cheap. It's the overuse of it. Like they use it at the football game. What the fuck is it symbolizing at the football game? Just yeah. watching football. There's no yeah. symbolism in that scene. Like yeah. if you're gonna use it, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But have it mean something. Like it meant I, nothing. I
2: do think those early scenes feel like they make bad artistic choices. Like mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the, the, the first twenty minutes uh, yeah. is is rough going. It, it
0: feels like a film that was written by an 18 year old student as her first draft of a creative writing Mm -hmm. project which you know so they succeeded yes
2: which which would make sense (laughs) of the comedy ending
0: um but yes so back to our director so i kind of wondered about that i then before this he had made a film called all cheerleaders die i thought i had found it what i had found instead is he's gone back and remade that film Mm -hmm. um modern and it is actually really solid it still has a real cheap element to it but it looks a lot more slick than this and it really reminded me of jennifer's body in tone oh, and okay, um, okay. i know i found it fun it has like, loads of hot teen girl tropes but the story actually is does make sense and it's fluid and it has a better tone of the horror and comedy than mm-hmm. i know who killed me did and like one of my things with i know who killed me was when you listen to him talking, he's like, I wanted it to be a modern day giallo. I wanted it to be Lynchian, but I also wanted it to be this really clever thriller. But then it was marketed as like a slasher film. And then it was marketed as a murder mystery. And it's like, pick a lane. Like what genre do you want to do? And just commit to that genre.
2: Well, I'm interested in the fact that he he made this film, um, all cheerleaders must die. Mm hmm. Um, because he shot the original. From, I've not seen this film, so mm-hmm. maybe maybe you can tell me what you think of it. But he he shot the original and the remake, both uh, co-directed with Lucky McKee, mm-hmm. and Lucky McKee is uh, a figure who's really big, uh, really well thought of on the kind of cult horror scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, he made May in two thousand and two, which is like a really awesome. Uh, kind of riff on Frankenstein um, and uh, it's got like a female lead it's really interesting more Mm -hmm. recently he shot uh, The Woman um, from 2011 which had uh, really great reviews and I know is really Mm -hmm. well thought of so I'm interested in the fact that he teamed up with this guy who has like a really significant cult following not once but twice to make Mm -hmm. two different versions of all cheerleaders die (laughs) um but that somehow i've i've heard of lucky mickey like he's quite buzzy on the horror scene mm. i hadn't heard of chris uh Siv- Sivetson it's hard all. to
1: say right <laughs>
2: Excuse- i keep wanting to say silverson yeah Sil-
1: that would be easier can you change your name please chris Thank you. <laughs> um, well yeah i like i thought this that all cheerleaders
0: die really worked and um, like i'm I'm not the biggest b-movie horror fan I do I really like horror films but because I live on my own I'm a massive wimp now Mm -hmm. so I don't like watching horror films on my own so I've really like fallen away from the horror film scene because I Mm. just don't get the opportunity to watch them um Mm. but I thought all cheerleaders dive was great it's a little bit witchy and it's a little bit zombie which makes sense while you're watching it Mm
2: -hmm. and
0: the tone was perfect like it's not the best film I've ever seen, but it was a fun watch. It made sense. The gore was great, and like the thing it did remind me of the most, because of the implications of what happens to the cheerleaders and the way in which people are killed, is so like Jennifer's Body mm. um, that it's just more of a global Jennifer's Body and a little bit more feminist actually. And okay. yeah. like the the cheerleaders are still filmed in like such male gaze and it's all about Mm. wearing short skirts and things like that but the women are the heroes of the film and the guys Mm -hmm. are the dickheads of the film Um, and you could see the difference which is why I'm really annoyed I couldn't find the original because when I was trying to figure out what drew Lindsay Lohan to this film the only thing I could think of was all cheerleaders die she must have somehow seen that film or been sent that film and liked something within it
1: there has to have been something in that they not just get sent scripts if they think say for example the director's like oh I can see this person in and then they send it to their agent I feel like from what I've heard in the very 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 minimal available interviews for promotion for Lindsay Lohan which we'll touch on in a bit Mm -hmm. um that she kind of just was like, "This is a really good opportunity for someone like me." I as- assume she was referencing the fact that she used to be a Disney star, etc., and she wanted mm-hmm. to do something more adult. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I know um, Claire, you saw um, an article, um, I think it was on the Guardian recently, talking about mm-hmm. uh, talking about the film and like giving it a bit more of a defence, um, and basically just talking about how it's very reminiscent of this duality of Lindsay lohan herself mm-hmm. uh, absolutely, good, like the sort of the disney side and then the decide the that the side that kind of lets loose and actually it's really smart so i wonder whether she just read the script and and really liked it yeah um, it
0: just seems it seems like a brave step to pick a first time script writer and a
1: second time director yeah the to other to thing handle. i was gonna say, say is from what you're saying about um his other chris's other film Mm. um is that it clearly seems to me then that the writer jeff hammond of i know you killed me seems to be the common denominator in terms of why perhaps this didn't work as well considering as well Mm. this is his only writing credit
0: (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah so i mean chris as well he um likes it Where am I? So uh, he has said that there is a 3.5-hour director's cut. of Yes. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And (laughs) I want it. it. I want want it. Release your cut. (laughs) Release
2: release the civets and cut. (laughs) Hashtag release the cut and cut, definitely.
1: Release the cut cut. the All people get cut. (laughs) Release the old people get cut. Sometimes people just get cut cut. (laughs) Um, Which also...
2: (laughs) On the subject of of Giallo, I I think the point at which I decided I really loved this movie was the point at which I realised it was trying to be a Giallo,
0: mm-hmm. which
2: is um, I I really noticed that around the halfway mark where she gets her robotic hand
0: mm-hmm.
2: because mm-hmm. the the colour had already kind of indicated that because in like Argento and especially mm-hmm. uh, like Mario Bava they loved. Um, they love to douse everything in like symbolic colours or you know block block colours, colour block yep. the set design and so on. Um, but one of the other um, common tropes, not in every Giallo, but in in many of them, was that they would introduce a little bit of um, a little bit of sci-fi. Mm-hmm. So if you see something like Argento's uh, Four Flies on Grey Velvet, there's a special machine they use to analyze someone's retina or mm-hmm. their, their, their pupil in, in, in the eye of a corpse because, um, as all scientists know, the eye retains an image of the murderer and they can, <laughs> they can extract the image and Amazing. use like, this special machine to get the image out of the dead body's eye in I order really to identify it. the murderer. Um, That's brilliant. Which is, yeah, insane. Uh, in, um, in Argento's uh, Cat and Nine Tails um they the the whole plot hinges upon the fact that people who have a double y chromosome are highly intelligent murderers
1: and oh, yes. there's
2: there's a murder mystery based around a lab where they analyze people's genomes and uh they they spend much of the film trying to work out who has a double y chromosome <laughs> because they must be the killer i um, love it so it's it's uh, it's pretty common for these pulpy nineteen seventies Italian gialli to, to have that kind of uh, uh, sci-fi edge, and Lindsay Lohan's robotic arm or like pneumatic crush grip, and her leg that runs out of battery is exactly the kind of like <laughs> nonsensical bit of sci-fi fluff that uh, they would add onto these movies to to kind of draw people in. <laughs> I love that. The, the other aspect was the um, it's really common in gialli for there to be some kind of uh, massively important plot point like sometimes literally that someone has seen the killer that is locked in their memory and they can't they can't get it out mm-hmm. and they spend most of the film being like oh I know I saw the killer's face but I can't picture it and yes. it's like super frustrating for the audience mm-hmm. but in in this as well I felt that um, with all the the flashbacks and the psychic and like twin sense. yeah the twins all the twin sense stuff sounds like the kind of like slightly psycho cod psychological or cod psychic edge mm-hmm. they, they would give these jelly films so between the twin sense and the uh and the color blocking and the bit of uh you know misleading sci-fi in a film that's not really sci-fi all all those elements like really came through in the second half. And that's the point where I was like, Oh, someone's trying to make like a A modern American teen movie meets a a giallo. And, um, I was, I was, that's what I was fully on board with.
0: Well, so I wondered if, again, going back to why Lohan chose this film, I wondered if that was a case as well. Like, is she drawn to those kind of films? Is she a big horror fan? Did she like the idea of like an homage to those kind of yellows of the past? And um, so, as you know, I've, I've deep dived. I've spent a lot of time talking about Lindsay Lohan this month. Um, so I looked into what happened to her before this film happened, from a career sense. Before we do a little bit more about a personal sense. Mm-hmm. So, got two thousand and four mean girl's peak stardom she films herbie fully loaded she releases an album at the same time and it's all disney all the time and it makes complete sense get that disney money in keep your little teen queen crown (laughs) 2005 she starts taking a couple of choices she films prairie home companion just my luck and bobby now that none of these films did particularly well but She's filming with Robert Altman and Meryl Streep. She's getting the opportunity to actually be an adult in these films rather than being stuck in the teen role. You know, you've got Amelia Estevez directing. So some of these films are odd films that you wouldn't expect her to do, but when you look at the calibre of people involved in them, Mm -hmm. makes sense. she's making good choices. And again, 2006, she films Chapter 27, Georgia Rule, And then I know who killed me. And chapter 27 is like an indie film with a debut director, but the cast was really, really strong. So you can see why she'd be interested. She's got a small role in it, but it's got a great cast. And then Georgia Rule directed by Gary Marshall and starring Jane Fonda. So again, total sense. So why in the same year does she choose this film and do this role because when this film was released by that point her hollywood crown is off she's been arrested for a dui she's all over the paparazzi she's cited as the problem child and all the films that she's been releasing are flopping and turning into box office bombs but when she was filming this that hadn't like when she signed up to this. Mm. That hadn't quite happened. It happened almost when she was doing this. So yeah. at this point, she hadn't lost her opportunity to be insured on things yet, because that's why her her film choices after this are really low yeah. because she couldn't get the insurance to be on set anymore. But this one, this is always marked. This is the pinnacle of when you look at Lindsay Lohan's career. This is yeah. the one that people point to is the where it completely changes. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the filming times, she's not quite there yet. Just it's gonna haunt me to my day because because of what happened during the making of the film, so she supposedly had the operation that then got infected. There's, you know, people say that isn't the truth, you don't know. She then had a DUI and she went into rehab. She made the film, the director said that she did a great job on set and was really good despite all the stuff that she was going through. The week before the film comes out, she gets another DUI and she's not allowed then to do any press. She can't Mm -hmm. go on any TV shows. So she's never since the filming of it discussed the film. She's never done an interview and explained why she chose it, what drew her to it. Apart from... A random tweet that someone said in 2013 that said Lindsay please notice me I've watched I Know Who Killed Me twice this week and she commented that's two times too many and that (laughs) is the only comment I could find since this film was released that she's ever made and I listened to some more modern conversations with her and she never references this film but she does talk about the fact that everything she's done in her career she thinks is the right choice and when you know when she's probed on why did you write music about your parents having a volatile and abusive relationship and why did you go on SNL and joke about the fact that you couldn't get hired and that you had to wear an ankle monitor and she maintains well everyone was going to talk about it anyway and it was all over the papers so I just felt well if they're going to talk about it I can talk about it too Mm -hmm. so I wonder you know is that the choice for this film she's like people see me as a piece of meat people see me as they want me to be this beautiful disney starlet and the queen of hollywood but really i'm this like rough and ready girl who likes to drink so she wanted to do this because it gave her the opportunity to pay both and be seen in both ways as one person
1: right yeah Hmm. Yeah, definitely. Maybe I think um, I mean I don't know how the script got into her hand to begin with, but I think that's probably what she, the appeal that she saw was that um, was essentially showing, yeah, just not getting her own back, but yeah, just making she saw it as a comment on on as a reflection of her own life and dealing with yeah. dealing with the press and things mm-hmm. like that. Absolutely. It's funny because they were
0: really building her up to be, like, the next Julia Roberts and the next Cameron Diaz, like, to be a rom-com queen, which I think Mm -hmm. would have really suited her. I think she's got... Mm -hmm. Even though she can do these kind of weird, dark things, I think she's got a real gift for the, like, wacky comedy kind of side. Yeah. Yeah, And and I guess she didn't want to do that. Or, like we said, because of her personal elements, her getting her own back and being like, no, do you know what? I want to do, like, something really dark and really gritty, which Mm -hmm. is why I'm so desperately want a copy of the original script because i want to read it and see how much is it different to the final product because there must be something in that script that that, she
1: saw yeah. yeah and it'd be interesting to know then as you guys have mentioned before how much really changed based on her issues hmm. and did that then it's kind of just like um a self of self not self-repenning prophecy but it kind of like it's ebbs and flows between the cause and effect where mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. chose this because she because of the the idea of, of the theme of it of whatever representing something that was kind of going on with her but maybe a extreme version mm-hmm. she then you know lean, unintentionally leaned further into that which then caused issues on set which Mm -hmm. then potentially made the film change to be worse and Mm -hmm. that then coincided at the same time with her getting, I say worse, her dealing with with additional issues and essentially that all collided into one career fail, essentially. So it's not one thing or the other. They've actually very much influenced each other and it's such a shame that Mm -hmm. that happens that way.
2: Well, I'll say this. Uh, she might not like this film this is probably now my second favourite Lindsay Lohan
0: yay oh I love that but I mean we kind of talked about the problems with the plot and the script we talked about the problems on set I mean personally I thought that also the marketing of it just Mm. goddamn awful like they were trying to sell it to Lindsay Lohan fans and teen fans as mm-hmm. this like Sasha kind of teen film. And it's very clearly like an homage to Lynchian and Giallo. Seventeen-year-old mm-hmm. Lindsay Lohan fans were never gonna like this film.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think, you know, it's it, it it struggles to be scary, it struggles to be completely erotic, it struggles to be completely redemptive but it's also it's not showgirls it's not spring breakers it's it's wanting to be an art form and look at exploitation films but it's Mm. never marketed as that kind of film Mm. which is why it's very interesting when you look at some of the initial reviews at the time of release Mm. it was critically panned Mm. apart from horror websites specialist horror websites were really supportive of it because they obviously understood the film that they were watching Even despite bad marketing, whereas a lot of other people, if you expect to get one film and you get something completely different, and it was also a mess, but you know you're not understanding even the intention by that point. Yeah, but
1: I wonder as well if it was a bit of a double-edged sword where if they were to market it as de- as a, in a genre as a mm. genre film, how many people would have turned their nose up and gone Nizzy Lohan? Yeah, I don't think so. That's very true. Yeah. So I. I, I, I yeah I, I can kind of see their issue there really the, the other thing i wanted to talk about in terms of the promotion that i found is that they <laughs> obviously everyone releases clips of the film alongside the trailer and mm-hmm. uh, try and drum up interest i noticed that they specifically released clips of the stripping scene so mm-hmm. they definitely knew part of their audience and who they were trying to get yeah. into the
0: cinema yeah absolutely um, but like on my DVD there's a copy of the trailer along with the original opening and original closing the original opening is virtually the, so the original opening um, you don't see the strip scene at the start the original opening is like a voiceover and all the shots of like the lake and stuff um, and then I believe it goes straight to Aubrey okay. but there was also the original trailer for the film and like that trailer is for a completely different film that's not the film that I watched <laughs> is
2: Yeah, or, is it for a horror film or a teen? yeah? It's like a
0: teeny horror film and it really markets it as like she's being followed and through the whole movie you're going to be watching her and so it's all like the scenes of her at the bus stops and like constantly looking around her arm and like hinting that girls have gone missing and it makes you think that in the film she's going to be abducted and you're going to be... But like you're going to be watching it before it happens. Yeah, yeah. Not the film that we got. That
1: happens in the first 20 minutes and then the rest of it's madness afterwards.
2: (laughs) What kind of trailer would have got you the most excited to see this movie because for me it would probably be her saying do I look like I'm in a fucking coma and then and then breaking someone's arm with her robotic arm
1: oh absolutely just all of the badass Dakota moments just in some sort of fan can super
2: or the woman from The Nun looking straight into the camera and saying if your ID says you're 21 you're 21
0: (laughs) literally <laughs> so, so for much. me I would have leaned into the, the twin thing more and been like I would have really leaned into the idea of is this girl insane or um, is yeah. she a twin and I would have let that be the mystery which I think is yeah. for the most it's part so the so main good. mystery oh, really of the film yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah
2: the well, um, theatrical release poster that they've got on Wikipedia is much less intriguing than the one I saw
0: I much prefer the theatrical release poster because that is the DVD opening screen. It's a blue rose and you've no. got Lindsay Lohan's awesome. face as petals on each side of it. And that is the element of the film I cared for. Right. I wanted yeah. to know about that mystical, the, eerie with kind of blood, vibe. The blood with,
2: drop coming The, the blood
0: bottom. drop at the yeah. end, the blue yeah. and the red. Whereas what you get on the DVD... So that was the theatrical release. On the DVD cover, it's her on the stripper pole
1: from the start of the film. Yeah, the, right yeah, of it. the marketing um, of it is that kind of film. The, <laughs>
0: the DVD menu is the theatrical poster. That's the DVD yeah. menu.
1: So, yeah, I think we've sort of discussed how, how we feel about the film and and where we think it kind of went wrong. But what's really what we love to do as well, um, which we briefly touched upon, is, is look at what other people do think. And obviously... <laughs> this this didn't fare well when it came out it wasn't it wasn't screened in advance for critics i believe so the film premiered on july 27 2007 it didn't get a uk theatrical release uh this was in the u.s uh to what entertainment weekly has called and i quote an abysmal 3.5 million dollars that eventually did gross a total of uh 7.5 million in the, at the end of the theatrical run in the US and it did end up grossing 9.7 million worldwide but you know their budget was 12 million so it did you know it didn't even break even um no and really? ultimately- Nowhere near breaking even, and but ultimately, you know, it, it it was the reviews that really, really cut deep. Um, the Rotten Tomatoes consensus is 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 a doozy. It is uh, quoted as uh, distasteful, distasteful, and ludicrously plotted. <laughs> I Know Who Killed Me is a career nadir for all involved, particularly Lindsay Lohan in a dual role. And that's got 9% for critics versus, a, you know, quite a relatively healthy for a bad film, quote, uh, a 26% audience score. So there was a bit of a divide, I think, there between critics and audiences. So Empire Online have named it number 34 in a fan voted uh, 50 worst movies list. And CinemaScore actually, uh, this is audience polling as well, have given the film an F uh, that was in April 2020. It's, oh, sorry. As of April 2020, it's one of only 22 films to get a rating. Like that, only 22 to get an F is I, Now, is I have rating.
2: some thoughts. I have some thoughts on movies that get an F cinema score. <laughs> so the way a cinema score works is uh, they show a movie to an audience and they poll them coming out. But the I think the audiences are somewhat self-selecting. So it's, it's people right. who want to go and see the film mm-hmm. based yeah, on yeah. its marketing mm-hmm. and based on what they think it's going to be. And then they review the people coming out to say, you know, did you enjoy it? So a lot of the movies that get an F in its uh, for their cinema score are movies where the movie that you get isn't necessarily the movie you'd expect. And mm-hmm. the audience gets pissed off because of that. Yeah. And I'd say about half the movies that get an F cinema score are genuinely pretty bad and the other half are like really great movies that are challenging in some way or, or give you something that you wouldn't expect so just looking down the list uh, Bug by William Friedkin which is an adaptation of a Tracy Let's Play about mm-hmm. someone who may or may not be uh, paranoid schizophrenic mm-hmm. really great film really great film Doctor T and the Women is a Robert Altman film it's not his best but it's certainly like not one of the worst movies ever made. I Know Who Killed Me uh, <laughs> which we've discussed has its problems but I really liked it. In the cut Jane Campion's In the Cut um, with Meg Ryan and Mark I Ruffler.
0: need to watch this film because that film of all of these kind of films has had a real resurgence and like reclaim by fans mm-hmm. in the last couple of years and I really really want to watch that.
2: Yeah, oh well it's I didn't like it quite as much as some people but mm. it's a good film for sure mm. uh, Killing Them Softly by Andrew Dominic with Brad Pitt is again like not a masterpiece but it's it's a really good film uh, Mother exclamation mark
0: brilliant film I think the it's one one quintessential
2: F cinema school movie
0: like, I, I'm a big Aronofsky fan. Um, I, he worried me with Noah. I actually didn't even bother watching Noah because he looked that by oh the gosh. trailer where I was like, that's not the Aronofsky I want. Um, whereas Black Swan's one of my favourite movies of all time. Yeah, um, I loved Mother. I found it really challenging. I saw it in the cinema. I felt claustrophobic and, like, I could mm. feel it physically. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was one of the best films I'd ever seen and I vowed never to watch it again. And then... Mm-hmm. Um, I was dating a guy and I stayed at his parents' house and they asked him to watch a movie and that was the movie they picked and they'd never no. seen it so I had to sit and re-watch it on their TV with him and his dad and I was like, I don't really want to do this.
2: I've never seen so many walkouts as when I went to see Mother. But I really like them.
0: I do understand the walkouts. It is a very confronting film <laughs> but I also stand by the fact that if something makes you that physically kind of something has a reaction like that then Mm. clearly it's doing its job and it is a good film just because your reaction is not a nice reaction doesn't mean it's a bad
1: film if it's able to make you feel something then someone's done their job is that why people do downgrade it though because from what i understood they kind of thought it was too just too pretentious I
0: think I, I saw a lot of people saying like it was just stupid and it was really like over the top and like it like the pretentious is the word as well
1: but like, I don't find it pretentious it. I know I think yeah I think it's A brilliant film
2: i didn't find it so pretentious that it it put me off there's there is some of that in there Mm. but i think it's it's good enough it's
1: clever enough in itself that you're kind of like i i know you know you you're clever Mm. but you're (laughs) that i think you're you know like the fact that i think you're clever matches up to how clever you know you are so Mm -hmm. it works The, the issue with pretentiousness is when the person thinks they're clever and the audience goes no you're not yeah
2: Maybe, and I, maybe it's more that they just ate a baby. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. Like, so I can understand like, that, that's that fail. Yeah, those are very controversial. But it's, you know, it's a representation <laughs> it's a of both Christ and Mother Earth. And, like, they did uh. kill Christ, so...
2: Yeah, thematically, um, symbolically, it makes absolute sense. But I think for some people it's probably an instant fail on yeah. this in regard at some point oh. you eat a baby <laughs> uh.
0: a lot of people also didn't like like the lack of linear narrative and like i can definitely be like that with some films i much prefer oh, I love linear. a linear
1: narrative i
0: love a linear i love I love, oh. a, I love i love just a classic story no, but done, done well <laughs> like mother totally down for wild and wacky and completely no, linear
2: the, the, last, the last film I'd mention on this list is uh, Steven Soderbergh's remake of Solaris which again I think is great with mm, is that the George Clooney one Yeah.
1: I heard other people talking about that recently but I've not seen it maybe we need to add these to the to the worst rated lists uh, <laughs> for the pod, there's so many on there that I haven't seen that I'd be really interested but it's a really interesting point you make Andrew about who these people are and, mm-hmm. and the context of that and that makes so much more sense when you think about what those films are so, uh,
2: Though it's more um, accessible than the the earlier attempts to film it by by Tarkovsky, um, it is nonetheless relatively art house. Mm-hmm. And I think if people went to see a big sci fi movie with George Clooney and they weren't forewarned that it was going to be introspective and mm-hmm. ask questions about the nature of reality and God and so on, uh, they just thought it was going to be George Clooney on a sp- space station. A cabin adventure, then they probably would come out of the movie saying this was bollocks. Yeah, mm. absolutely.
0: And that's it's such a shame because really you're not rating the film you watched, you're rating the marketing team. Yeah. But you can't, um, there's no rating
1: for that. Yeah, yeah. They, got, they did their job. You're in the seat, essentially. So, yeah, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah just. Talking a little bit more about the uh, the criticism for the film, this film was the most awarded at the 28th Golden Raspberry Awards. It won eight out of nine, its nine nominations, which included Worst Picture. And uh, L- Lohan uh, also won Worst Actress, as well as Worst on-screen couple for both of the characters that she portrayed
0: this film (laughs) broke a Razzie's record for the most nominations of any one film but um, that's now been beaten by Jack and Jill which we'll be covering in a future Ah. episode so I can't wait
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but it did however attain a lot more of a successful home reception Um, It's now almost quadrupled its US box office gross in estimated domestic DVD sales. Um, It's developed a huge cult following, uh, lots of midnight screenings. Basically, yeah, it's just got, you know, the the love that perhaps it didn't get the first time. It's now being rediscovered by
0: ourselves. 100% going to be desperately campaigning for the Prince Charles Mm -hmm. to do a midnight screening of it and we have to do a bit like The Room every time someone says cut you have to do something I don't know what it is that we'll do but every time someone in the film says cut blue thing or every red thing and, and yeah, and you have to, because, you know, they have the two doors into the downstairs screen. So if it's in the downstairs yes. screen, Aubrey side, Dakota side, and yeah. also like themed red and blue drinks at the bar. So you get oh, to pick. Yes. Ooh, like, I this. Let, let me do it. Let me have it.
2: I think this was a film that started out wanting to be a cult film, went kind of off the rails and had all kinds of behind the scenes problems and kind of fell apart and then flopped. Mm-hmm. And then is now ripe to finally achieve what it wanted to achieve, which is to be that kind of cult film.
0: Which is why Chris Silverston should indeed release the 3.5 hour cut for oh, me to okay. enjoy. The cut cut. For
2: sure. a cut, cut. <laughs> <laughs> the people get cut cut.
1: I, I just, just like... want to finish the review section with a uh, a really you know to the point and rather humorous letterbox <laughs> review um for from the user is eric dr g mister and the one line review is this movie was so bad it almost killed me but it didn't count on my will to live (laughs) <laughs> Which is a lovely quote from our local law enforcer um, when uh, speaking about Aubrey Al- slash Dakota, about how yeah. she was left on the side of the road and how, you know, why did the why did the killer leave her there? You know, he just he maybe he didn't like the killing side of things, you know. He thought he could just leave her in the dirt and she'd be done. But the law enforcer very rightly said, Well, he just didn't count on her will to live, as if any other murder victim just gives up. <laughs> they don't have a will to live. Oh. Which I thought was he gave it a half star. He <laughs> which leads me very nicely to um, your ratings, guys. I, I really want to know at the end of watching this, what are your final thoughts and like what your rating is? Um, and whether you do think it deserves to be on this list or not, which I have a feeling I know what you're going to say.
2: <laughs> well, I, I gave it three stars on my uh, social media movie rating platform of choice. Other, other platforms are available. <laughs> uh, three three stars, and I think that's, you know what, on a, on a rewatch, and I've just rewatched it for the podcast for the, for the second time, uh, I might even up it slightly, maybe three and a half.
1: Hmm. that's exactly the same as how i feel because i think my issue is that i i mostly do mine on enjoyment i mostly do do star ratings on on enjoyment but i do have to take into consideration that there's a lot a lot of mess here and Mm -hmm. i can't really can't give it the same sort of ratings that i you know i give other eight and eight out of tens for like I can't have it in the same caliber um so I I was thinking three but now the more we've spoken about it I'm like do you know what I reckon that extra half a star just because of the amount of fun I had watching and talking about it compared yeah. to some of the other ones that I'm, we're going to have to face I think I think I've ended up at three and a half and I do think it deserves to probably be on one of the lower rated sides of this of cinema i don't necessarily think it's probably one of the worst though i do think there's worse out there
0: for me i'm a bit harsher than you guys i'm torn between two and a half and three rather than three and three and a half because obviously i enjoy i like this film because i've still got the dvd 10 years later i refuse to get rid of it but i think my enjoyment of watching the film has very little to do with the actual film that i'm watching in terms of like the intention of the film and the story of the film very little of my enjoyment comes from that my enjoyment is watching Lindsay Lohan finding the plot holes so it's really tough to rate it because am I rating my experience of watching it or am I rating what I'm actually watching
2: I I would say always rate the experience Mm yeah
0: Absolutely. Yeah, so I'm torn between 2.5 and 3. Now, my argument being, it goes back to the Lynch thing about does it deserve to be on the worst list of all time? So I've said I'm not a Lynch fan. Having rewatched, so I watched this, I rewatched Blue Velvet, I watched Wild at Heart, and then I rewatched this again. And all three films, to my mind, are just wild, nonsensical, thematic ups and downs and completely like. That shit of their own and like tonal choices that don't make any sense and overacting galore and like I adore Laura Dern But I've seen her in two David Lynch films now. And personally, I feel like he makes her look like a bad actress because where he goes for that such an intense tone, to Mm. me, I'm just like, what are you doing? You're just screaming. And it almost felt like to me, he was just using like the first take of every shot, which is just totally personal opinion and probably not true at all. I don't (laughs) think a film that is so clearly influenced by and trying to be a David Lynch film can in which it in my opinion in some ways succeeded if not you know just our ripping it off i don't think we can say that david lynch makes the world's greatest films and is one of the most visionary directors of all time and then we say this is one of the shittest films ever made because there are too many similarities
1: right okay i get your point I get your point. listen i'm gonna need to start watching some lynch films because this guy keeps coming up on my up, <laughs> and i'm like I don't know what to say about this dude. What is that? What is that clip with the with um? Oh, what is her name? Which is like, I do not know this man. He came <laughs> the room. I wouldn't even know his name. <laughs> Where did he go? Oh, I got she. Oh, she used to be a Disney Channel kid, but I can't <laughs> remember. What she I know who. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, but yeah. So I, like I need to watch watch something now to have an opinion on this chat. This lad keeps turning up in my. <laughs> I'll tell
2: you why. I'll tell you why you should give this an extra half a star. It's for the opening. Uh, image of the strip club with a neon sign sign out of a dancer and the yes. right hand and the right leg of the neon sign are flickering
1: yeah they are
2: to indicate that they're fading away
1: you i can, did i did like cannot, that like be mad at the attention to the detail no and
0: that, that's it and i think as well the other thing i was going to say is does this deserve to be on the worst list of all time if this did not have Lindsay Lohan in, no one would bat an eyelid that this film wasn't very good. The only yeah. reason it has got an F and it's ripped apart as much as it is it's because you've put a hollywood star in Mm. a low budget art house film if this was just a low budget art house film with a completely different actress in it people probably would be applauding it and people probably would be saying oh my god look at the homages to lintz it's a modern american giallo like it's flawed and it doesn't quite get there but the attempt is great as we've said but because Mm -hmm. lindsay lohan was there and it's a scattered performance and the editing makes limited sense Mm -hmm. it went
1: from being a film that people probably would have said they tried to oh it's No, you're right. That makes total sense in terms of what you said about the horror critics really loving Mm -hmm. it. Because Mm -hmm. essentially, I think you're right. I think the level with which you're comparing, I I do it, you know, completely unintentionally. I'm watching something going, this is a Lindsay Lohan film. So Mm I'm comparing it to her other films and the the caliber of that. I'm not comparing it to other genre films (laughs) where, like you say, now I'm thinking about it now going, ah, no, as a genre film. I might even, I might even, you know, I'd definitely say at least three and a half stars yeah. because of that. But I think, yeah, the connotation of having someone like that in a film like this, you go, that's that's bad. Yeah, because you're, you're expecting
0: something like A Quiet Place. Yes. You know, yeah. you- more value
1: more production value yeah. in that
0: but not this not i think even from the outset regardless of any of the production problems like andrew's mentioned i think this is always meant to be a low budget kind of be homage cult film i don't think it ever had an intention of being blockbuster
1: level. no but, but unfortunately that's the that's how people saw it and well
0: three years after
1: mean girls comes out of course mm. you're gonna think that mm. no so. absolutely absolutely so as always, we like to sort of touch on, on a theme uh, as uh, that's related to the film that that we're discussing. And uh, I know that Claire was really, really eager to tell us more about Lindsay Lohan. So we decided um, to have a quick discussion about our, our top three Lindsay Lohan films. Now, I don't know. I think Andrew should go first as our guest. Mm-hmm. I think mine are going to be. Super, super basic. So you don't want to unite yourself. Sure, so
0: I'm wondering for our Team Daisy versus Team Claire, I feel like maybe we shouldn't be allowed to pick the same films. Like maybe we get Andrew to flip a coin and <laughs> whoever wins gets to pick the first film first. Okay. Okay. Andrew, go ahead with your ones.
2: All right. So this was the, it's only the fifth Lindsay Lohan movie I've seen Mm -hmm. before this uh, I'd seen four and I liked three of them Mm -hmm. and I didn't like one and the one I didn't like was The Canyons yeah Canyons mm-hmm. absolutely sucks ass
0: so bad I've maybe <laughs> blocked it from my memory who remembers <laughs>
2: it would be like the figure in a Giallo movie like desperately yeah. trying to remember I, what the horrific incident was I just remember so scene. many
0: scenes of her on a yacht in like a silk nightgown but I'm like do I just remember that because that's like the footage from the trailer I don't know
2: well that's, that's still the worst Lindsay Lohan movie I've seen so mm-hmm. that's number five Number four, I would say Machete, mm-hmm. where she cameos. Yeah. Um, I would say that's number four. I know I'm I'm gonna say number three, I'm gonna say the holiday for her cameo. Nice. That's that is a better movie than I Know Who Killed Me, but I can't put it in second place because it, she's barely in it. She's barely she cameos as herself. So mm-hmm. let's not count that. The holiday at number three. I know who killed me at number two. Yay. <laughs> Because uh, a she's it's actually a Lindsay Lohan movie, and I had a really good time. <laughs> um, and number one, uh, I don't think this is a huge surprise, but Mean Girls
1: hey, yeah. remains
2: her towering achievement and uh, a lasting memory of what could have been for her career.
0: Though mm-hmm. so, incidentally, I think that of the four plastics, she, she's actually on the weaker side. I think. She- we remember the- that film because of Regina George, yeah. not because of Katie. She's brilliant in it, though. I adore Katie and I adore her performance in it. But when yeah. we all think about it, the reason we all love Mean Girls yeah. is Regina George and Rachel McAdams. Rachel and you, McAdams. when you look at Rachel McAdams' career and where it's gone...
2: Mm-hmm. You can see well, why. I I would also give a shout out to uh Amanda Seyfried. Absolutely. She's
0: had a yeah. rockier career. She seems to like that though. She does yeah. one good film, two terrible films, one brilliant film, two mediocre films. Like Amanda Seyfried just seems to be happy to take all the things.
2: But she's and, uh, so good in man. She's happy
0: to be here, you know? Mm. I haven't seen Mank yet, but all I've heard is how good she's in. She and does. she's Phenomenal. been in some wonderful films and wonderful performances. And then she's been in films like Letters to Juliet, which I've tried to watch three times yeah. and had to turn off. And I love rom-coms. If I,
2: can't, if I can't get through it. <laughs> do you think Lindsay Lohan ever looks at stuff like Mank and thinks, oh, that could have been me?
0: Yes. Um, so, yeah, I listened to an interview with her and John Bishop, and she do- he references, like, where your career was to you know where it is now and do you look back at the opportunities you had and that's where she was speaking about she doesn't regret anything she can't look back and regret things mm-hmm. but she yeah. did say it is tough that she you know has been in films with Meryl Streep and Jane Fonda and all of these award-winning high caliber people and um, and you know people like Jamie Lee Curtis who've had decades-long mm-hmm. careers and she's like does it hurt to see them on Oscar ballots and not my name yeah it sucks I'd love to have that opportunity but I'm glad I got to work and learn from them so I do think she is aware of the people that have passed her by
2: it sounds like a good attitude in theory
0: unfortunately when it comes from her mouth unfortunately when you listen to the interview it sounds a little bit delusional and i listened to another podcast which i found quite upsetting her mum has a podcast and she guested on it as a guest her mum and a friend have a podcast and it was I found it a little bit tough because I think 90% of her personal issues are stemmed from her parents and you can look into it and it's, it's awful. Um, there's some real nasty stuff that went on during her kind of peak yes, career. So. And but as a child the, actress as well. Like. Yeah. And, and in this, like at one point, her mum makes her cry and she makes her mum cry and it's really like over dependent and emotional but also her mum is like her up being like you're the best actress that's ever lived you've had the best career I know one day you're gonna like win an Oscar and it's like this was only recorded last year and it's like she's i I'd, I'd love i would love as it's such a fan we'd love to hope that at some point she will have a resurgence the
1: industry doesn't work like that
0: especially for women especially yes. not gonna get the opportunity absolutely. that robert downey just, jr had absolutely doesn't happen for women yeah. and that sucks and i hope that i am proven wrong yes but it's not gonna I well, hope so.
2: The, the canyons could have been that or should have been that, but mm-hmm. the canyons is just rubbish. Yeah. And I don't even know that I would necessarily blame her for that.
0: Yeah, and that's mm. some of the problems. There's like another film that I'll probably reference in my top three that I think if it had come out in a different point in her career, it could have been an opportunity. And I think even if it came out now, people would be like, "Oh my god, that's such a cute like role," and she handles it really well. But because of the point in in her career that it came out in, it mm-hmm. just got dismissed and it got moved from a theatrical release to a TV release. Yeah again if it came out now and went to a netflix release i think Mm. that it is actually on netflix now but not to like netflix original fanfare kind of thing i Mm. think she i think if what had happened to her had happened 10 years later netflix or something like that could have given her that opportunity but it's now been too late
1: Mm, it's a shame yeah. On a positive note,
2: let's chat our top three. Uh, we'll flip a coin and yeah. to decide who goes first. Yeah. And then you'll just um, take it in turn. It, we won't do the movies in any particular order, so feel <laughs> free to say, like, your third favourite first yeah. or whatever it is. And then after everyone has, like, bagseed seed their
1: three,
2: you can put your three in order. Okay?
1: Yeah. okay, okay. All right,
2: so Claire... Do you want to say heads or tails?
1: Tails, please.
2: It is heads. Daisy gets
1: to go first. <laughs> okay, so my, I am I'm actually going to do mine in order because it makes no sense. My top pick is the parent trap.
0: That was my top
1: pick. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, but it is just. Whatever your favorite meal is and your favorite dessert, like when you watch this film, I just went, feel like so fuzzy inside, and it's just like you're eating your favorite meal, you listen to your favorite music. It's all that kind of feeling that's just pure joy and happiness. And I do
0: think that even though she's had such a varied career, I do still think that's her best performance. I think oh, the absolutely. range and she shows. She's
1: a kid, and she does yeah. both, and it's yeah. just the hijinks and the jokes and the music, and it's just lovely.
0: Yeah. Just okay me. so i'm gonna go then and i'm gonna take mean girls
1: mm, interesting <laughs> interesting okay which my... for all the reasons we said already <laughs> yeah um am i then just am i then going next or yeah. yes okay. um my second pick is freaky friday which was my actual second choice nice. again this is just peak me as a teen. Mm. i think it's bloody hilarious i think again it's her and doing two characters essentially mm-hmm. And she absolutely smashes it. Jamie Lee Curtis is hilarious oh, in it. it. So oh, they it. bounce off each other so well. And that song by the band at the beginning. The pink Clips. Oh, that is one of the best fake songs. <laughs> <in the world. laughs> it's I've still on my it. iTunes. I still but listen I to it. To yeah. The other day,
0: it's
2: fantastic. <laughs> on the oh, subject yeah. of fake songs, can I just ask, have either of you seen Josie and the Pussycats?
0: Love it. No, have I it on I DVD. Such I a fan.
2: Really love it love it <laughs> whenever anyone says oh this is the best fake song i need to be okay but have you seen josey <laughs> <laughs> okay
1: oh, have to oh, i'll have to make like a watch list of all the films that we mention on here that i haven't
2: We're
1: seen yet. Um, okay so i've got my
0: second pick and i'm taking <laughs> labor pains which is the film that i was talking about it came out wow. in i think 2009 it's a really silly rom-com where she's okay. about to get fired so she lies and says that she's pregnant because you can't oh. fire a pregnant person and then she has to fake a pregnancy to not lose her job but that's she starts, a little bit yeah really like that person
1: hasn't said that they're pregnant
0: <laughs> well that's in, like and it's american labor laws so who really knows oh, right. um, okay. but so she starts to fall in love with her with one of the other colleagues though so she starts falling in love with him but has to make up this whole reason why she's pregnant but then is gonna start dating him and it's just i think it's one of her best performances she's really cute in it and considering it came after us like i know who killed me and a couple other like flop she's really really charming and shows a big kind of range of comedy but Mm -hmm. it ended up they took it off it didn't get theatrical release it went on like abc family and it went to like a straight to dvd release here and i just think if that had come out in the last five years as a netflix original i think it Mm would have got so much fanfare Mm. But yeah, so that's I'm, my one. I'm interested to check
1: that one out now, now, yeah. now, actually. It's
0: by no means like the world's best film, but just as like a really chill, silly rom yeah.
1: com. You have on. Those. It's great. Yeah. It's exactly yeah. what it says on the tin. I want to see, I do want to see more of her her mm-hmm. filmography, to be honest. Yeah. Um, my third guess, I guess, my third <laughs> film, and I've actually managed to keep all of my top three, which is amazing. This is one I didn't want to let go because it's Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen. Nice. Uh, um, like well, I know that I've mentioned Freaky Friday and Parent Chapter, they were like quintessential to my childhood but I felt, I don't know where this film came from and how it got into my DVD collection but no one else seemed to know what this film was when I was at school and I was obsessed, it was just about this girl who played up her her backstory of her life because she wanted to be an actress and she wanted more um, she wanted more attention and things, she was obsessed with uh, this rock band who was front, which was fronted by Adam Garcia who was like the First guy I ever fancied as like coyote ugly, kid, mm-hmm. right? And <laughs> <How's he ugly? laughs> um, I had Megan Fox in as the school bully, she was looking banging, like it was just great. And um, the production design was amazing, it was fun, it was like really lively. And like, yeah, I just really want to watch it again now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> cool. And um, so, for me, I'm gonna go for Georgia Roll, um, which is a really odd and complicated film. And um, so, she stars a teenager who is sent to live with her grandmother because she's a bit of a problem child Um, and so she's sent to this really small town in the middle of nowhere and then she's really precocious she's meant to be about 18 i believe um but she's really precocious and over the top and like starts trying to get like all the local town boys to sleep with her and then starts going after adult men and it comes out that her stepdad has been sexually abusing her for a number of years and then the mum comes back to be like, what the hell? And then she starts saying, no, 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 I made it up. And she has a history of lying and a history of appalling behaviour. And the whole thing is, is did this really happen or is she making it up? And the yeah. kind of thing of the film is like, is she really this damaged person or is she really this like narcissistic? Um, yeah. And I really like it. I, I own it. I've watched it numerous times. It's a messy script and it doesn't quite ever really get to the point that it wants to get But I think as a low hand performance, I think she's really strong in it. I think it does help that the other actors in it are very strong. It's very unfortunate that this is the film that marked the beginning of the end for her because this is the one that she stopped showing up for set and where the director put an ad in a newspaper saying, you are not exhausted, you're out partying every night, you need to turn up for set. And he put an ad in a newspaper saying that. He put it out to the press like release it as a press statement and oh shame her into going to set and i don't think and like, i don't think any problems with the film are down to that i think the problems down to the film the script is a little bit messy and it's only at the end that it kind of comes together but i really love her performance in it and i think she's really great in it and i think it's something that was very different and i think it again showcased things that bigger films didn't give her the opportunity to showcase
2: mm, um I'm just looking this up now. It's interesting. It's a 2007 movie, the same as I Know Who Killed Me. Yeah. So if she's, if that's the year in which she's taking a movie where she plays a kind of bifurcated character, like the good girl slash bad girl. Mm -hmm. And also she's taking on this role where Mm -hmm. she plays someone who has like an abusive childhood and so on. Maybe this was the year of her taking scripts where she was like, I'm going to do this because I relate.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so this one was actually filmed the year before I Know Who Killed Me was filmed. They were released the same year, but she did take George Orwell first. But absolutely, she's looking for... Because I think, like she said herself, everyone in the press knew all the problems in her childhood and with her family. Everyone in the press knew that she'd started sleeping around and started being drinking all night and passing out. So why not take the roles that represent that? Because clearly people aren't going to believe her as that good girl, Katie Heron, anymore. So take the roles that let you explore those darker sides of yourself. Mm. But yeah, so I actually, I got my two, three, and four. The only one I didn't get, the only one I wanted uh, that I didn't get was Parent Trap. I was really
1: worried that we were both going to do Parent Trap Mean Girls and then only have one that was different. Well, that's why I specifically didn't choose Mean Girls Mm -hmm. because Mean Girls is absolutely in my top three and probably would replace, it would probably be, be Parent Trap Mean Girls Freaky Friday. Yeah. But Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen is so synonymous with my childhood personally that rather than mean girls being like a big phenomenon that i know everybody loves i thought i'd swap those in
0: yeah see i did parent trap mean girls labor pains would have been my proper top three because whilst yes. freaky friday is a better film i think her performance in labor pains mm-hmm. is stronger
1: which is why well, like actually
2: georgia rule by the way i was just looking up the director it's gary marshall who yeah. directed pretty woman uh princess diaries princess diaries oh. Two. Yeah. A runaway Bride and Overboard. It makes so that.
0: much sense why she would pick that because what a director to work with. And like I've yeah. kind of theorized online that I think the career trajectory Lohan should have had is Anne Hathaway's career trajectory, who I think is... I remember you kind of doing
1: a bit of investigative work. Yeah, she transitioned
0: from teen Disney to adult roles very well by picking out indie roles, slightly supporting character roles in indie films, which is what Lohan tried to do but didn't succeed in. Um, And I think working with Gary Marshall was an absolute brilliant career choice. The calibre of people on that film,
1: it just didn't hit for critics and it it didn't hit the box office just seems a little bit of bad luck thrown in with it as well mm. obviously her issues too but if they had been great films then maybe people would have been a bit more forgiving
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. she should totally have been in Oceans 8 if her career had gone well yeah, for example.
1: yeah
0: absolutely yeah. which I watched only last week and fuck me yeah. that's a brilliant film
1: women women in suits yes
2: women in suits <laughs> okay. getting heists it. done
1: really yeah. stuff. getting shit done <laughs> talking of getting shit done I think that's that's us yeah, <laughs> yeah I think I definitely think so but um, obviously we still want to hear uh, all of the listeners thoughts about uh today's episode and obviously filming question I know who killed me um uh, who's seen it do you want to give it a go now? Have you been watching along with the pod, and and do you think it deserves a place on the bottom one hundred? So you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at wratedpod, and on Letterbox at wrated. And Andrew, where can the good listeners of the podcast find you on the interwebs?
2: Uh People can find me on uh, Twitter at Whitlock and Pope, uh, and at my blog, uh, which I co-run with my good friend uh, Genesis Whitlock. Uh, which is again whitlockandpope.com. Um I will be talking about mainly about movies, but uh, also a little bit about my cats. And if, and if things are going badly, a little bit about politics as well. But- <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was going to say, have you got anything to plug at the moment that uh, you want people to check out on the blog? Maybe.
2: Absolutely not. Just check out more. Of, <laughs> just check out more of W rated. That's what I.
1: Oh, thank you. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
0: and Claire give us a bit of a reminder where we can find you yes I'm at Claire Ellen Hope on Twitter and Instagram and when this episode releases I will be doing a full deep dive Lindsay Lohan top 10 to go alongside it for cine chat um, which is why I knew what my choices were already um, (laughs) and I'm really annoyed because I forgot to talk about any of her music and any of her SNL stuff so expect more Lohan content from me because I... I lost like a month to this woman and I need to do something with this information.
2: You make it sound like she rupee you.
0: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was 2021. I didn't want to be living in 2021. So I just decided I'm just going to go live in like 2004 through to 2007. It was an easier Why time not? for me. Not for her, for me.
2: Disappeared down the Lohan hole.
0: I did. Oh, God. After this film, I don't think that's a phrase we should be saying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh god amazing um and oh you can find me uh at daisy vic edwards on twitter and daisy victoria edwards on instagram and Letterboxd. so thank you so much for tuning in and thank you so much andrew for coming along as our very first special guest my um, pleasure
2: thank you for having me
1: no worries at all it's absolute pleasure um and we hope everyone listening can join us for the next episode where again we'll be exploring our next worst rated film uh with another special guest so see you then